Reading from the first chapter of the letter to the Colossians. We have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all strength that comes from His glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If crosses were not so common, if crosses had not become decoration, if crosses were still used to crucify people, then that last statement about peace being made through the cross would have caused you to pause. Maybe you did pause. Maybe you wondered, as did I, why the cross in November? Why well, read about crucifixion the Sunday before Thanksgiving? Don't today's readings belong in Holy Week? There's a temptation in the church to relegate the cross to Good Friday. Some churches have to bring in a cross for a Good Friday service if they have a Good Friday service because it's not displayed at other times of the year. They fear that the cross might make people feel bad. Suffering is such a downer. Of course, the opposite is true, too. Crosses can be so ubiquitous that they no longer get your attention. When a diamond-studded cross can be worn around the neck of a person singing about being a material girl, or an avowed atheist wears a cross around his neck because it's a good luck charm, then crosses have lost their meaning. When crosses are everywhere, it's as if they are nowhere. I can pass by a pretty brass cross, a beautiful wooden cross, a nice decorative cross, and not think twice about it. They become so familiar. 
that we hardly notice them at all. And so it takes us marching across into this space, bringing a cross right down in front of you for us to notice that the cross is the central image of the church. The cross is here every Friday, not just Good Friday. Every Sunday, not just Easter Sunday. Even in November. No, especially in November. On a day when we speak of Christ's reign, we must also speak of His cross. So yes, hearing Josh read these words that Jesus spoke from the cross is jarring outside of Holy Week. But it is not out of place. Watching the choir bow as they process past the cross may look like a spectacle, but it is not a show. Following the cross in and out of this place may look like a parade, and it is, but it is not one we watch passively go by. This is a march we join. Have you seen a Christian wave? You just did. But that's not the kind of wave I'm talking about. You remember some years back, it was real popular when you went to a sporting event where people would throw their arms in the air at just the right time and around the stadium would move a wave. It looked like an ocean wave flowing through a stadium. Well, this wave is, is more like that, although you'll never see it in a stadium, even a stadium full of Christians. This kind of wave is more commonly seen among button-down Episcopal Christians than jeans-wearing rock concert Christians. This is the kind of wave that you'll see when you go to a liturgical church. I invite you to do that. Sometimes go to a Lutheran church, a Catholic church, an Episcopal church, and, and sit at the back, or even better, sit in the balcony and watch the cross come into that space. And then watch row by row as that cross draws near. Watch those heads bow. It's not just the choir and the acolyte and the clergy that bow. It's the whole congregation. And when I watch that scene happen, when I watch that Christian wave flow through the church, I think they get it. They get that the cross is not some moving work of art. It's a visual aid. It's a reminder to us who is in here, who we follow in here, and it's a reminder of, to us of who we follow out of here, who we go to do work with, who we go to serve, who we go to minister for, who we give our life to. Paul speaks of us being transferred. Notice the tense. It's not something that we do. It's something that's done for us. We have been transferred into Jesus' kingdom, rescued from the power of darkness. We've been moved from one kingdom to another, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have been given a share in the inheritance of light. This is no small inheritance. 
We have been made heirs to the God of all creation. We have been made heirs to the One who made all things. We have been made heirs to the One beneath whom all earthly thrones and dominions and rulers and powers sit. We are heirs of the promise. So think then what it means to be an heir. To have an inheritance. I've known heirs in my day. Some heirs of the promise, some heirs of worldly kingdoms. Heirs, you know, receive. They don't earn, they're given and they receive. It's a gift. And then the question becomes, what are they going to do with this gift that they've been given? How will they respond to this inheritance? They can do nothing. They can squander it. Jesus tells a story about that. The father had amassed sufficient wealth for his family. Even his servants lived real well. But the son came and took his portion of the inheritance and he went out and he, he lived. The Bible calls it politely dissolute living. It sounds real fun until you realize it ends with slopping hogs. The man comes to his senses, comes home just hoping to get a job like the servants. Even a fortune can be quickly wasted. Movies like to show how heirs sometimes have all the mouth of their fathers, but none of the wisdom, none of the work ethic. It seems that it's easy for beneficiaries to sit on their father's thrones and do nothing to help the kingdom that they have received. Well, not all of us are heirs of worldly kingdoms. But by grace, through the mercy of Jesus Christ, we are all heirs of this promise. Inheritance. We've been then called to serve, to have the mouth of the Lord to live in light of His wisdom, to go and work in ways that reflect the work that He did. That's the calling on us as those who have inherited His promise. Jesus has called us to a throne like His. His throne. The one He ascended to is not diamond-studded. It's not brass. It's not even smooth wood. The stone is a rough, splintered, torture device. That's the throne He's called us to take up. His call, His inheritance, His gift to us is not something that makes us better than those around us. It sets us apart, but it sets us apart not as, as those who are better than those around us. It sets us apart as those who are better than we would be without this throne which we have been called to take up. As heirs of the promise, we are both forgiven through His work on the cross and called to live in light of this forgiveness that we receive through His work on the cross. Jesus has made peace for us with God by forgiving us.
And in response, we are then called to make peace with others for God by forgiving them. That's the kind of thing that happens when you're an heir to this promise. You get these tough assignments. When you're an heir in Jesus' kingdom, your inheritance is a cross, which is fully a gift. It is grace, and this grace includes a calling. It is also grace to be called into something, to be deemed worthy of something important. It is a grace in your life. You inherit the responsibility of living in light of the cross. Living in light of the cross will make us better. Not because we have to be better to be loved by God, but because being loved by God in such a powerful way demands response. We can't help when we've been reconciled with God. When we've been given the gift of peace, we can't help but be more loving. We can't help but be more forgiving. We can't help but be more generous. We can't help but be more trusting. We can't help, and this is hard for us, we can't help but be more vulnerable when we've been loved by a God who would go to a cross rather than take out his sword. Jesus climbed on that cross to show us how his kingdom will be ruled, what living in his kingdom is like. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves, but he also showed us what to do in light of what he had done. From his splintered, rough-hewn cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. From his splintered, rough-hewn cross, he looked over at a convicted criminal and said to him, Today you will be with me, with me, in paradise. Jesus took a violent, despicable torture device and made peace through it. Not only with God on our behalf, which is something we could not do for ourselves. He made peace between us on His behalf, something we're called to do. The peace He made for us and the peace He called us to. That's why the cross is the central image of our life together. The Christian faith abhors violence. We rebuke the use of torture and humiliation. The cross will be completely antithetical to our faith. Our Lord died on one. The cross would be completely antithetical to our faith if it were not the means by which Jesus made peace. In an act that only Jesus could do, God redeemed a violent, bloody cross by pronouncing forgiveness, mercy, and hope from it. And so we, his followers, must follow suit. We must offer forgiveness, mercy, and hope. We who have been redeemed by the love that went to the cross are to live in light of the cross. We transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light.
must be these who are heirs to the promise, these who will make peace because we have received peace. Peace through the cross. Peace. Peace. Wholeness. Well-being. God's peace. Peace through the cross. Thanks be to God.